This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey there, you're listening to More Than Potential, the podcast. On this show, we talk about mental health, well-being, and self-improvement from a Gen Z perspective. I'm your host, Faith. I hope everyone's having a good day. I'm having a decent a decent day, I guess. Um, <laughs> um, I Just an update for what's going on in my life. I would say that a lot of things have been happening for me in a really good way. Um, I might have some potential like speaking opportunities and um, I'm doing some guest appearances on a few podcasts and some other things. So yeah, I'm working on a lot of projects. 2021 is going to be very interesting. Yeah. Um, I just, I don't know. I think most recently within the past three weeks, like actually the whole month of January of 2021 has been a lot of things happening behind the scenes. It seems like nothing's happening, but actually a lot is going on. So, you know, thanks for staying patient with me because I'm not as active on this Instagram account as I would like to be. I'm much more active on my other Instagram accounts, like for my business and then on my LinkedIn and other places. So, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm being pulled in a lot of different directions, if I'm being honest. But, you know, I do post consistently on the podcast and I try to advertise it because ultimately the podcast is something that I do just for me. It's not necessarily to monetize. It's just to do what I like. And I like to talk. <laughs> I like to share ideas and have conversations. So, yeah, the podcast itself is just is what I'm going to be doing consistently. But showing up constantly on Instagram is something I'm still working on just because I don't feel like there's enough time in the day between my job and everything else. So, you know, thanks guys for being patient with me and understanding that it is a process after all. You know, I'm just I'm just trying to hold it all together, you know. But yeah, so life is going pretty good, I guess. Um, I, I actually, well, well, okay. So I will say, that's something I have been going through is that I I am just not doing well when it comes to keeping my emotional um, stability. And I know this sounds very edgy, but it's kind of true because in a lot of ways, I feel as though I start crying for no reason. And then the next moment, I'll just be back to normal. And so part of that is at least letting myself feel whatever it is that I need to feel in that moment to push through and continue doing what I'm doing. I think a lot of it has to do with the anxiety around things that are happening politically, but also in my personal life, I'm just I'm just tired of being at the house by myself, y'all. I am. Like I am. It's getting really old. So I think that occasionally I get kind of upset because I'm I wish I had someone to talk to or, you know, be around. And so, yeah, luckily I do have friends who consistently reach out to me and just like try to keep me in good spirits. And that definitely does help. But sometimes I'm not going to lie, just waking up and getting some work done is like, 
super dope. <laughs> like just, just getting up every morning is the victory. And I try to remind myself of that. If ever I get in a situation where I feel as though I'm not doing enough, I always remind myself that at the end of the day, I'm actually doing pretty good, all things considered. So yeah, um, I guess I can lead into today's topic. So today I wanted to talk about how I realized that no one was going to save me. I did a TikTok uh, maybe like a, a week ago, possibly. I did a week, no, not even a week ago. It was more like two to three weeks ago. And it got a lot of traction. I think it's probably one of the biggest TikToks I've done so far. And basically, the person in the TikTok was asking, how do you learn to enjoy being single? And my response was basically that a lot of people are looking for someone else to save them. We have this mentality that like, Someone's just going to come along and save us from our miserable existence and make us feel alive. And I realized that to an extent, it's a media problem because the media does portray love as a form of escapism. And so I think that, you know, my expectations when I was younger was to find some handsome guy with a lot of money to sweep me off my feet and make me feel better about myself and yada, yada, yada. And what ended up happening was that I started having a lot of like unrealistic expectations for what love and relationships would bring because low key, the person that I wanted to be in a relationship with, I didn't, it was like I projected my ideals onto that person. And so it felt less like a real relationship or real love or true affinity for each other and more like I'm being performative and that this person is a representative of something. And so in that TikTok, I talked about the fact that a lot of people don't have a life. They don't have hobbies. They don't have friends. They don't have interests. A lot of them are just passively scrolling on social media for hours on end. And then they go to bed and they do that every single day. So no, they don't have hobbies. They don't have interests. If you ask them what they like and what they enjoy, they can't even tell you because it's it's like being a zombie. You're half alive. All you do is sit on social media and scroll. You don't live your life. You watch other people live their lives and that's your hobby. And so I'm noticing this as a trend because even with young people, when I talk to them, that's what they're saying to me. I'll ask them a simple question about what their hobbies are. And then they'll be, it's like they never realize that they don't have hobbies. They don't have interests and that they're actually a very boring person. And that's the problem to me. Like, and I emphasize this in the TikTok, like y'all don't even have hobbies. Y'all don't really have a life, but you are desperate for a relationship because you're hoping someone can save you from life. Like you want this person to be like an escape. And that's not the way to see love and relationships. Like, if anything, it's kind of toxic because what ends up happening is like you just, you end up seeing that person as a stand-in for whatever it is that you're lacking. And you don't end up truly being independent and living life on your own terms. You end up being someone who is codependent on that person to make you happy. So I think that like, of course, that TikTok resonated with a lot of people and a lot of people felt called out, but it needed to be said because it's, 
it's too much of an issue at this point. And, you know, I wanted to kind of dig into the subject because I felt like, generally speaking, a lot of young people don't consider that they don't have hobbies or interests. And granted, that's not to say that some don't, but I'm noticing, especially with young women, I don't know if they ever consider that they don't, like, what do they do every day? You know what I'm saying? Like, when I take an assessment of what I do, each day I do work, but I also try to do some sort of self-development activity. And, you know, I took on the podcast and the blog because it was something that I was doing for myself just to teach myself a new skill, like teaching myself how to podcast and how to record episodes, you know, basically teaching myself how to do something that I didn't know how to do before. And now I like podcasting. I think podcasting is fun. And even though I may only have like 20 people on average listening to these episodes, I don't think it particularly matters to me. I think I just like having the podcast. It's fun for me. And it's something that I do for me. Of course, I'd want to grow it at some point. But honestly, with everything that's going on in my life right now, first things first. Um, <laughs> but ultimately, you know, like I was saying, I just it's something that I do for me. It's something that I like to do, something that I enjoy. I consider myself a hobbyist. So this is the hobby that I chose. And I guess I don't talk about it often on, on other platforms or other places, but yeah, this is, this is my hobby, like the blog and the podcast. And so I think that the fact that I talk to so many young women, especially under the age of 25, and they're, you ask them what they like and what they enjoy and they can't tell you, shows several things. Like for one, you haven't really been taking it upon yourself to challenge yourself. You're not doing new things all the time. You're not exploring your options enough. You're kind of just sitting around waiting for life to happen to you. And one day you're going to wake up and realize that life just passed you by and you did nothing. Like you're a young person and the only thing you can think of to do is drink and smoke. And that's not, you know, I'm not trying to judge anyone, but I just think like, what else have you done? You know, you go to school, you go probably have a part-time job and you drink and you smoke. That's it. You need something to do for you. You need to live, really live for yourself. Um, and I think that, you know, in general, I just noticed with a lot of young women, it's just the general, it's really just this generation. They just don't, they just don't have it. Now, a common hobby is gaming, which is fine. I would say that's, that's, that's a hobby, I guess. But, um, outside of that, I don't really see a lot of y'all having hobbies like y'all used to, at least that's what young people used to do. Now it's just based on scrolling on social media. And that's how it becomes an addiction because you're looking for social media, that passivity of just constantly scrolling to replace actual activities that will help you become more creative and help you be more of a critical thinker. You know what I'm saying? Like, like learning a skill is a way to become a critical thinker and um, to create more neural pathways. So when I think about the importance of having those hobbies and interests, it's literally because it helps with your brain development. At least that's how I see it. And when you don't have those things in place, it kind of, it just kind of makes you a less interesting person overall. But, you know, another thing too that I found is that when it comes to building a life for yourself, which is ultimately the goal, right? I think a lot of people just kind of hope that things happen for them. Like they don't see the responsibility in being active. 
You have to be an active decision maker. You have to make certain choices. And I'm just seeing that a lot of young people, they just hope that life happens to them or it works in a way that benefits them. And if it doesn't, then they just look at people who have better lives and assume that those people were just born wealthy. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I do think there are people who are more privileged than others, I suppose, but that doesn't mean that everyone is more privileged than you. The reality is there are some people who have better lives because they they understand the principle of creating that for yourself. You know, part of being an adult is being able to make decisions and choices and not have to answer to anyone. And so I take that very seriously. You know, um, life, you get out of it what you put into it. So if you don't put in any effort to meet new people and make new friends and travel and see the world and, you know, create a career that you enjoy, which might mean being an entrepreneur like me, if you don't take it seriously, then you're going to get what you get. You're going to get whatever's close by, whatever's nearest by. If you don't take the initiative to try and meet someone that you really enjoy romantically, you're just going to end up with whoever is nearby, you know? And it's obvious that's what happens because a lot of people don't like their partners and they never consider that maybe their partner was just around at the right time and not necessarily the person, the right person at the right time. It just happens way too often. And, you know, when I think about why people are so unhappy in their lives, it's because I truly believe that they never thought about the responsibility that you have as an adult. You know, when I was a teenager, one thing that I realized was that in a lot of ways, the reason why I was unhappy, meaning I was super depressed, I lacked motivation, I had low self-esteem, I thought that I was just going to wake up one day and everything was going to make sense. You know, I would look at people in school who had great grades and I just assumed that they were smarter than me. I wasn't even considering the fact that these people probably worked really hard behind the scenes to actually get good grades and, and do, you know, their homework. They, they literally do a great job with the small things. So when it comes to getting the academic awards, it's just the byproduct of all of those small decisions that they made beforehand. And I think, you know, this sort of thinking where life happens to you and not for you was something that I learned over time by just talking to people. Now, this is going to be very controversial, but I'm going to just say it because this is what I truly believe. I think that, you know, as a black person, we spend a lot of time talking about all the things that don't work for us, like all of the situations and circumstances that black people have been put in to, you know, hold us back. We see all of the obstacles and never really the solutions to problems. And so what ends up happening is you end up chasing all of these boogeymen because you want someone to blame. We don't really do well at taking accountability for things, especially for things that we actually did, right? Um, and I know, like I said, that's controversial because no one wants to say that out loud. But deep down, I truly think that's the case for a lot of people. Uh, we're, we're, we have this fatalistic mindset we're in, you know, because of white supremacy and because of racism, there's nothing that we can do, right? We're just powerless in the face of white supremacy. And we just kind of have to accept whatever it is that we get. And 
it's kind of traumatic because I didn't grow up with that mindset, but I think that the, the general mindset of just taking what you can get and accepting whatever comes to you and, you know, just being grateful for what you have, which is the Christian ethic. I think a combination of those things created this monster wherein I knew that I wanted more, but I wasn't feeling empowered to go after what I wanted. And I wasn't really, really even admitting to myself the fact that I wanted more and I desired certain things. So I would pretend to be comfortable and content with what I had because, you know, good Christians are content and comfortable with what they have and they're grateful and they're thankful. And, you know, I used to think that in a way, being grateful and thankful for what you have, it was a contradiction to wanting more when that's not the case. I think you can appreciate what you have, but also say that you're still striving for more. And that's a healthy mentality to have. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the two should technically work together. You need to have gratitude and a good attitude to get great results. And so I think that over time, I had to realize that a lot of the things that I was ha that was happening to me in life, good or bad, was directly due to my own actions and choices. And instead of just like trying to blame someone else and be like, well, life is hard and things are not working for me, I should just work on actually improving myself to be a better person and to you know work hard to get a certain result and I know this sounds very obvious but when you spend your whole life blaming the situations around you and especially if you're someone who has had a rough background or you haven't necessarily had the most charmed life sometimes it's easy to just feel like well maybe this is my lot in life like maybe this is my fate maybe I'm just gonna be broke forever you know and some people will never be able to relate to this because they've spent their entire life in middle class luxury and comfort. You know, you've never really been confronted with real hardship in that way. Some people, I actually know people like this who they've just lived their life. You know, they don't really have any real traumatic problems or real history with anything. It's just kind of like they're untouched by circumstance and problems. And so, you know, for those of you who do not relate to that and who can say, hey, yeah, like I've had a lot of problems in life. There's a lot of things that happened to me that shouldn't have. And I've had a lot of setbacks. Like people like that can relate to my story a lot because it's so tempting to fall into the mindset of I will be broke forever and there's nothing I can do to change this. But you have to resist that urge because that just disempowers you. You know what I'm saying? Like it makes you feel like there's nothing that you can do. So why just why not just wallow in your misery and in your suffering? Because that's all you really can do. I just I just I, I see that a lot. I've known people who grew up poor and the mind and the real poverty mindset is that you believe that inherently something is meant for you. It's like this fatalist, like this is just fate, I should just accept it kind of mindset. And people tend to fall back on those beliefs because they don't know what else to do. They don't even know how to change their life, how to start over and create new habits and create a new mindset, you know, because it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. It takes time to challenge your preconceived notions and ideas and work towards being better and feeling better and achieving more. It takes time to create those habits that will, you know, support you changing your life. It does. It takes time and effort. And you know, I think that when people want a quick solution to life problems and they realize that the real problems actually do require a lot of work, they get discouraged. So I don't know. I just think more broadly speaking, when you've been through a lot in life, you will know what I'm talking about. That feeling to just 
say, well, forget about it. Like, forget it. I mean, there's no point. Why do I even bother? Everyone else in my family is broke. Everyone else in my family has this or does this or is this. So I guess that's just how I am too. And you have to go against that. Um, you know, so for me, I think that watershed moment happened when I was in college. There was a point, I think, in my junior year. I think that was 2016. No, that was not 2016. 2017, maybe? Because I graduated in 2019, so it was probably 2017. But yeah, it was like March of that year. And I remember just sitting in my dorm room and realizing that I was miserable. And I've always been miserable. Now, part of that is because I've always had depression, right? But another part of that was because I realized that I had constantly been living my life for other people and I had been doing things that I didn't really care for or I didn't or things that just didn't resonate with me because reasons, you know, I felt pressure from my parents to go to church and pretend to be, you know, religious. I felt pressure from my family to be perfect and to have good grades. I just felt a lot of pressure and instead of just admitting that, hey, you know, this isn't working anymore. Like you're not happy. You're not doing what you really love and care about. And you don't even know what to do to change your life and, you know, make things better. You kind of just sit there and sulk in it. You know, there were so many different things that I didn't like about my life at the time. And some of it felt like it was out of my control. Some of it was out of my control, right? Like you don't get to decide if you grow up with money or don't, you know, you don't get to decide that. A lot of the things that happened to me um, that led up to what happened in college, I've never really talked about because it was like an ongoing situation. But how do I say? I'm trying to figure out how much I want to say, but long story short, I'll just kind of give a brief summary. A lot of the things that I struggled with in college were the direct result of like ongoing family problems that were, that were going on. So, you know, I haven't really talked much about my parents, but there's a whole episode next week about this. Oh, actually, no, next week is, is a special episode. But towards the end of the month, or maybe the beginning of February, I'm doing a episode on my parents because I think once you understand, you know, how narcissism works, everything else in my life starts to make a lot of sense. If you know me or if you listen to the other episodes of this podcast. But yeah, so... Long story short, you know, my parents, you know, they separated in 2014 on my graduation day, but they divorced when I was a sophomore. It was 2015. It was 2015 and my parents got separated. No, they actually got fully divorced in 2015. That's right. And so long story short, when that happened, I remember, you know, kind of spiraling at that point because... I was still reeling from the divorce, but also the fact that, you know, around that time, my dad also was very, very ill. Like he was like on his deathbed. And I don't think anyone knew until one night my sophomore year, you know, I had three roommates. I just broke down and told them, hey, like my dad's going to die, like probably tonight. He actually ended up living, by the way, but... I, we thought he was going to die. Like it was, it was assumed by the doctors and everyone else that that was his last night. And I was in Kennesaw and there was no way I was going to be able to go to Augusta. So anyway, I just remember sitting, sitting there and I wasn't sure how to feel because, you know, uh, my dad was a narcissist and I was like, not quite sure how to feel about anything at that time. 
And so although he managed to live through that scenario, um, junior year, there was still a bunch of stuff happening, like fallout from all of that that had happened the year before. And it was just one thing after another. And so I remember being incredibly like stressed and tired, but also emotionally drained. Like it wasn't the fact that he died that was really driving me through just through it. It was that, you know, the realization that someone that you know who has all these problems is always going to have these problems and there's nothing you could do to fix it. You know, there's no reconciliation possible because they are truly like off the deep end, you know? And so that was hard for me to to admit to myself. It was a hard pill to swallow that this person's never going to change. Like you can't hope and pray that things are different because things will never be different. Like this is just your reality. And, you know, it sucked. Honestly, it sucked a lot to to know that the one of the main people in my life up until that time was just not someone that could be relied upon. And there was nothing I could do about it. Like it was just, that was just my life. You know, I wasn't going to be able to save the narrative and maybe when I'm 24 or five, say that me and my dad are super close because that's just not the case. Um, that wasn't the case and it would never be the case. You know, the idea of your one of your parents walking you down the aisle at your wedding, that would never happen for me. You know, it, it just wouldn't. And, you know, having a normal family background just wasn't going to be my reality. And there's nothing I could do about that. And so that realization kind of took me for a loop. And I remember that entire year just emotionally dealing with everything that was going on at the time. It just made me drained, you know. And I remember that night feeling like I can't live like this. I just can't. I'm unhappy. I don't like my coursework. I don't know what to do, but I know that something has to change. So I decided at that point to try really hard to improve my life and change the way things were going. And it was just kind of like this one moment where you sit there and you know that things are not working and you don't really know fully what the problems are necessarily, but you know that you need to do something because where you're at right now is no longer sustainable. Like I was considering dropping out of school and just being a bum. Like I just couldn't handle it anymore. Like emotionally, I was like on the brink. So I, I had to make some hard choices. And one of my hard choices was, hey, like maybe it's time to switch things up a bit. And at that point, I knew that I was going to have to take a lot more responsibility for my life and for the things that had been going on up until that point. Because although, yes, there were plenty of things that I did not ask for that happened, plenty of things that were honestly out of my control because it was really my parents' fault. But at the end of the day, there were plenty of things that also I could control and I things that I could do to make my life better. And so I set out on this path. And, you know, there was a lot of twists and turns and ups and downs and what have you, but I think that ultimately I'm in a much better place now because I went through that experience. And, you know, I think everyone has to come to that point where they realize that where they're at is just not working. You know, it takes a lot to put your ego aside and realize that, listen, what you're doing is going to, you know, be more harm than good. You might as well hang it up flat screen and choose something different, even if it's scary, even if it's hard. And so taking that accountability for myself and for my actions and taking a closer look at all the motivations that I had for doing what I was doing, 
that was that was kind of rough. I'm not going to lie, because I had to, you know, be honest with myself and say, hey, like, not only is what you're doing not working, it's also not beneficial. Maybe it's even toxic. And you need to figure out what you're going to do, because no one's going to come save you from yourself. Um, I kind of spent a lot of time uh, watching like Korean dramas and like romance movies and whatever else. And I would never admit this in real life. So honestly, this is just for the sake of the podcast. Because I wouldn't, if you ask me in person, I'm going to deny it, right? I'm denying that. But I used to watch a lot of like chick flicks and romance movies and like international like soap operas or whatever, because I liked the drama. I liked the the aspect or I guess the idea of the the, the tropes that were in those shows. One of the main tropes that I saw a lot was the idea of the poor girl who, you know, she wasn't like great looking and she wasn't like particularly smart or interesting. But for whatever reason that we can't name <laughs> in the TV show, the main lead who is not really smart, not really a great dresser, not really attractive, nothing really special she gets the opportunity of a lifetime to date someone who's like very, very wealthy and it changes her life forever. And then they get married the end. And of course I'm skipping all the other stuff, like all the crazy things that happen, the twists and the turns and, you know, finding out that you have like a, a secret brother or sister or, you know, the relationship drama and the attempted murder and, you know, all the crazy stuff that typically happens in these sorts of these sorts of TV shows because they're basically soap operas. But one thing I realized is that the reason why I enjoyed those shows so much is because of several things. One, I liked the escapism. I liked the idea that I could just be transported into a completely different world, you know, sometimes in a completely different country that just wasn't like my own. And therefore, it felt like truly separate from me. And I kind of just immerse myself in that world and, you know, escape the real reality of my life. Um, another reason why I liked them was because I could relate to the main character. You know, I felt like the main character, I felt like I wasn't particularly pretty or interesting or smart or really anything to speak of. So, you know, in a way I could relate to the main character because I felt very basic. Like I didn't really feel like I had much to offer anyone. So the idea that, and this is the third thing, the idea that some rich, handsome person could come and save me from my existence and then make me feel better. I like that premise. I like the idea that I could go from nobody to somebody just by somebody choosing or picking me to be their girlfriend. You know what I'm saying? And although, yes, like I said, if you ask me in person, if you ask me in real life and you know me, I'm going to deny this shit. I'm going to deny it. Don't ask me because, you know, I'm, I'm going to say no. I don't know what you're talking about. But yeah, like I liked that stuff because it made me feel better about my reality. Like it made me feel like there was always a chance that someone was going to come in and save me and make me feel better about myself. And I was going to go undergo this like transformation that would take me from drab to fab. And speaking of, I used to love those movies like She's All That. Or 10 Things I Hate About You. You know, I used to like those little movies where they would have like the, the montage where the, the main character who's like nerdy and boring or whatever, she gets like a makeover and then she becomes like super hot when technically she was like an attractive actress the whole time. You know, I used to like movies like that because once again, I was kind of hoping for this like grand transformation 
to make me feel like cool and make me feel like I was actually valuable to someone. And so what ended up happening was I had to question why I was so attracted to this narrative and what that really meant. And I realized I did have severe low self-esteem, but also I didn't have the confidence to change my own life. And I was hoping that someone else would do it for me. You know, I was hoping that someone else could like via escapism, make me feel better about myself and feel like, you know, I was worthy or desirable. And in some cases, yes, that would be a man that would be like a romantic partner, making me feel better about myself and making me feel like I could do anything I put my mind to making me feel beautiful, making me feel chosen or special, you know, that that pick me mentality. That's kind of what I was feeling at the time. And so I think that once I took a closer look at the media that I was consuming and the message it was sending, I realized that, yeah, it kind of was a little bit toxic, a little bit harmful, but you know, it was escapism, right? It was just something to watch, something to do to keep me mildly entertained. But unfortunately I did kind of internalize those messages. So I had to work on that. When I talk about you know, someone not being able to save you understand. Yeah, granted, we are talking about romantic relationships too, because sometimes I do think the codependency in these relationships comes from your lack of individuality, from your lack of not having goals or boundaries. But I also think, you know, not having anyone to save you also is not just about romantic relationships, but also about taking accountability and making sure you fully understand that like, this life is your own. If you only get one life, like if you are someone and you die at 40, will you be satisfied with your life? If you were to die, you know, one year from now, would you be satisfied with the way that you had lived life thus far? What did you, do you truly feel that if something were to happen to you right now, that you would be fulfilled? Most people would say no, because most people are waiting on permission to live the life that they want to live. Most people are waiting for this like grand moment to change their life. And that moment almost never comes. So that being said, if you know that you fit into this category, here's what I recommend. Because when I made that TikTok, a lot of people were commenting and saying, I agree with you. Yeah, I'm waiting on someone to save me. Yeah, you know, I'm putting off responsibility to change my life and live the life I actually want because I don't want to be responsible. I don't want to be a real adult. But what do I do? So here's what I recommend. First and foremost, you need to get a hobby. You need to find, you know, something to do that you actually like and that requires skill. So you will start this skill or you will start this particular activity and not be very good. The point is to take on a new challenge and progressively become better at it. So, you know, you can learn to play an instrument. You can learn a new language. You can learn whatever you want to learn because there's so much available online for free. So at this point, your, your first thing should be making sure that you actually have identified something that you want to do. Why? Because that shows that you know yourself. If you don't know yourself, you're going to stumble over just this first step. This is the basic, this is the first thing you should do. But a lot of people, if I ask them what they like and what they enjoy, they can't really tell me. They, they, they seem like they've never considered what they actually like. So figure out what product or what skill or whatever you enjoy and then figure out how to make that an activity. Okay, the next thing I would say is 
make sure that you are keeping quality people in your life, meaning people that you can relate to, people that you trust, people that you can talk to about your problems and that understand you. Keep these people in your life. You don't need a bunch of friends, honestly. I honestly don't think that's necessary or sustainable because the majority of your friends, as you age, you're going to lose, not for any particular reason, other than that you guys lose contact. So just keep one or two friends around and then, you know, you guys just roll with that. And if you don't have friends, then find friends. And finding friends can be difficult, which is why I'm telling you to do it, because it's not easy to find someone whose values you align with. But what are your other options here? And, you know, finally, I would say too, if you're looking for a partner, make sure that you put off the idea of finding someone until you have found yourself. So until you are able to articulate what exactly you like and enjoy, you know, what you love doing, what makes you happy, I wouldn't, I wouldn't try and find a partner or someone to settle down with. I would wait it out. Wait it out for the person who you feel connected to. Wait it out for the person that you feel like you're choosing, not because you're lonely, not because you're bored, but because you genuinely care about this person and they make you happy. You know what I mean? They can't be your only source of happiness, but they can't increase your your happiness, whatever. Like you should be able to add to their happiness with your own. They should have a life, you should have a life, and you guys should combine your life together. Does that make sense? So yeah, um, when, you're, when you're picking someone that you truly like and enjoy, make sure that you're not picking them out of desperation or out of a want or a need to fill a void because people can totally tell when you're doing that. They can tell when you don't actually like them and you just, you're just there because you're lonely. And it's not flattering. It's, it's not flattering for the person. It's not flattering for you. And you're just wasting that person's time. So yeah, that's the advice I would give, honestly. Um, oh, one last thing. One, one thing too that a lot of people don't consider is taking more responsibility. Like, and I don't mean that in the abstract sense. I mean, literally find ways to take on increasing amounts of responsibility at work or at school or at church or wherever you are. Because when you take on increasing amounts of responsibility, that means that you have to produce something. You have to show up consistently. So taking responsibility at your job means that when you take on more, you know, tasks at work, they're going to expect you to do more and be more and be better. That's going to challenge you to continue showing up and to continue to improve in every aspect of your life. You won't be able to slack off. You're literally creating and like almost like a, a an accountability partner. And that's actually really helpful in this process. All right. So that's pretty much all the advice I have for now. Um, I hope that what I was saying to you guys made sense and that you enjoyed it. If you like this podcast and you like this episode, please be sure to rate and review. Let us know that you enjoyed us. Let us know that you liked it. It's one way to help support me in the podcast and show that you really, you really care. And of course, make sure to share and talk to people about this podcast so they know to tune in. I post an episode every Tuesday and every Thursday, one longer episode on Tuesdays and one shorter episode on Thursdays. So yeah, um, I hope you guys enjoy it and I will talk to you in the next podcast episode.